Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. So we live in a time, a day and age, where... 2020 Olympics are being played out in 2021, right? I don't know if you guys have been watching the Olympics or if there's any uh, particular sports that you're into. I really like watching uh, handball and water polo. I played a little bit of water polo in college. Um, Actually, we played against Villanova, and I almost scored. uh, But when I kicked myself up out of the water, the ball, like, squirted out of bounds uh, it was like an open net. I could, I could have scored against Villanova with water polo, uh, but I didn't. Um, but anyways, Olympics, and there's track and, and all of that. Anybody who do track or cross country? Do we have any runners? Yeah, one, a few? All right. So uh, I like to run, but just for... For fun, and I know that might hurt some of you to hear. Uh, just, just a casual runner. I'm not training for anything in particular, uh, but I just like to get out on some some jogs. Um, well, there's this thing. Uh, as you get into running, there's this thing called runner's trot. Okay, there's a couple other names for it. They're probably more offensive sounding, um, but it's called runner's trot. Basically, you get out on the trail, and then your belly is filled with poison. <laughs> your, uh, your bowels are on fire, <laughs> and it's the worst thing ever. Uh, it's, it's diarrhea. It, it's, that's, it is run, runner's trot. You're, you're, you're bouncing around, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And yeah, you're, you're, it, it comes and goes, but each time it comes, it gets a little bit stronger and a little bit more painful. And then you try to muscle through it, and then, then you're just, you're clenching, you're walking on your toes, your belly is filled with fire. And there's only one way to fix this solution, and that is to find, as Bev Burt would say, a turlet. Okay, you have to like it, is, and so sometimes if you are out far away from home and like it, it like knows when you, when you have to, first, you know, you're so far away from home that's when it hits. Um, this will make sense. This story will make sense. Uh, we'll we'll circle back to it. Um, I also want to just throw in there that today we have uh, an invitation to rededicate your life to Christ, or maybe for the first time give your life to Christ. So we're going to go from runner's trot to a gospel invitation here today. I hope you guys are excited. We have come into this house to worship God. Amen. So we're in John chapter 3. Donna just read through um, a good portion of the, the passage that we're, that we're looking at today. Uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Uh, Jesus meets up with this uh, Jewish uh, leader. His name's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's also in the Sanhedrin. 
so if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 3. We're, we're going to just pick this passage apart today, if you don't mind. Um, Nicodemus is, is talking to Jesus. Um, now, real quick, um, you know, we're a few chapters into John, and we, we have already met John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is described as being a man from God. Uh, and he is out in this public witness. He is, he is in the light, teaching people and, and preparing people to get ready for Jesus. Okay. Um, then we meet Nicodemus, kind of like the, the second biggest character in, in John's gospel account that we meet. Uh, but it's almost like there's contrast because Nicodemus, even though he's, he's a man of the Pharisees, like, like he has like a PhD in Judaism you know, kind of thing. But he's not out in the light. He's meeting with Jesus under the cover of darkness. So there is some contrast that John is working with as we would, you know, if we would start in John 1, 1, we would see this, that, okay, now we meet this, this, this guy who's supposed to know all the answers, Nicodemus, uh, but he's meeting with Jesus at, at nighttime. So um, it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. But we'll just start with the fact that he's a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. The Pharisees are a religious party and uh, during Jesus' day. They, they started a long time before Jesus was even born. And they, they may have had good intentions why they formed but by the time Jesus is in his earthly ministries, the Pharisees, they're just the super religious elite party. And they're obsessed with, with purity. All right? They, they want to obey God's law, and that's, that's, that's awesome. They want to follow God's rules, and, and, and they, they want to know Scripture, and they, just, they take it so seriously. They are obsessed with but they're so obsessed, they ended up building a wall around the law. And what I mean is that they, they added more rules and customs and traditions. And so by the time we get to Jesus' age, his day and age, there's so many rules. Religion was so thick. So many things you, you had to do, or rather, so many things you couldn't do. And it, it was just thick, thick, thick. Religion And the Pharisees, they would debate, okay, how do we, how do we be a, a, a loyal Jew in a Roman world? Okay, and they certainly weren't all unified. There were different types of Pharisees and, and different parties, you could say. Some followed this guy named Shammai, others followed Hillel, and so forth. But th these are the Pharisees. And Nicodemus is described as a Pharisee. He's also described as a ruler of the Jews. That means he's on the Sanhedrin. And I won't go into detail on the Sanhedrin this morning, but basically the Sanhedrin is the ruling council. You can kind of think of them as like the Supreme Court. You know, this, you know, They'll make the highest decisions. So he's a Pharisee. He's also on the Sanhedrin. He's a ruler of the Jews. John tells us that he meets with Jesus at nighttime. This could be a minor detail. Or this is actually significant. Like, under the cover of darkness, there's a reason that Nicodemus has to kind of step aside, you know, walk in the shadows. He meets up with Jesus. He personally pursues Jesus. He has some 
questions. And as we as we read, he he agrees that Jesus is from God. He says, Rabbi, that means teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So he agrees that Jesus has to be blessed by God in, in some format. Why? Because all, all the miraculous signs that, that Jesus is, is doing, the miracles, okay? Now Jesus answers. Jesus answers in verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right? All right, certainly this is true. Nicodemus, you need to experience rebirth. If you want to see the things that I am pointing to, you are going to have to be born again. By the way, what Jesus is pointing to is the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom, if you want to pick up on on what I'm putting down, you need to be born again. And he uses this earthly illustration to, to get his point across, all right? Well, Nicodemus now, he, he definitely has a question, and, and I'm almost reminded of like middle school uh, youth ministry, all right? Nicodemus is almost like a middle schooler again, and he's, it's a noodle scratcher, and he's like, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Like, all right, Everybody knows that birth is a one-way ticket. You come out, you don't go back in. Like, like no mother wants that, okay? Like, like, everybody knows. Nicodemus knows. How can a man be born again? And so Jesus, he's, he answers. He's like, okay. Okay, truly, truly. Truly, truly, certainly. This is the truth. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, we actually could just sit on that verse and really kick around what water and spirit means. Okay, we, we could kind of go into that for a little bit. But for starters, water and spirit, maybe Jesus is pointing back to Genesis. We think of creation. We're reminded of God's creative spirit hovering over the, the surfaces of the, the watery chaos. But really, I, I think... Jesus is pointing us to Ezekiel 36. So, if you want, you can turn to Ezekiel 36 real quick. I got some fancy bookmarks today, so I just beat you real real fast there. Ezekiel chapter 36. It's this Old Testament prophecy. In verse 25, 26, and 27, God says to his people, in this prophetic voice here, I will sprinkle clean water on you, And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, God says. A new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my Rules. So God, a long, long time ago, before Jesus and Nicodemus were even born, God already talked about being cleaned with water, this, the symbolism, giving you a new heart. God is going to give you His Spirit. He's going to put His Spirit within you. 
And here's the thing. Rebirth is a gift from God. Only God can purify us. Only God can wash us up. Only God can give God's spirit away. And so salvation, when when Jesus says, you know, water and, and spirit and he rebirth, salvation is like immersion into God's newness. Salvation is new creation. And new creation is needed. You must be you, you must be saved. Okay? Salvation is needed to enter the kingdom of God. New creation is needed in order to see God's newness. God's newness. Alright, we can bounce back to John chapter 3. We're in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The first Adam was made of dust. The second Adam, that's Jesus, the second Adam is of heaven. The first Adam, uh, from Adam's side came Eve. From the second Adam comes cleansing of water and blood. When Jesus was on the cross, his side was pierced and water and blood came out. It's, it's a mixture of, of new creation. We are born in the image of Adam. We are reborn in the image of Jesus Christ. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The emphasis here is on spiritual rebirth. Let me say that again. The emphasis that Jesus is 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 putting on right here is spiritual rebirth. The spirit is what remakes us. You must be remade by God's creative, recreative spirit. Spirits, heaven, wind. The, the, the Hebrew word for spirit is, is ruach, which, which is like wind. Wind. The wind is going to blow. God's creative, recreative spirit is going to blow. You hear the wind, just like real wind. You know, you hear it, you see it, you see the trees moving around. It blows where it pleases, and, and it's a mystery. It's a mystery. The forecast a half an hour ago said no rain, and then it starts raining. Right? Sometimes weather is a mystery. Wind is a mystery. And just as human birth and the whole process from start to finish is a mystery, so is spiritual rebirth. Are you guys with me? How you guys doing? You okay? Do you have questions? Nicodemus does. Nicodemus sure has a question. Okay, how can how can these things be? Verse 9. How can these things be? And in verse 10, Jesus is like, okay, you're supposed to be like a PhD in Judaism. All right. Are you, a, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So Nicodemus and the Pharisees, all right. 
Again, they were obsessed with purity, and the, you know, it would be their Bible, the Old Testament, the, the Torah, the law. They, like, they wanted to keep it. They studied it. They read it. They talked about it. Like, they kicked it around. Like, they were obsessed with it. But remember, they were also obsessed with all their, their own rules and laws and all of that. The Pharisees were supposed to be this group that was so in love with God. They were supposed to be the group that knew everything about God, his character, okay? Now, here's the thing. They know, so, they, they know so much about God, you would think that when God shows up, they would recognize him right off the bat. But the thing is, God did show up. Jesus walked amongst us, God in the flesh. He tabernacled amongst us, John tells us in John chapter 1. They did not recognize him, at least the vast majority of the Pharisees, those with the doctorate degrees. Those who have so much education about God and they missed Jesus altogether. Nicodemus is one of these guys. He's supposed to be able to recognize God and now he's looking at him face to face. And he doesn't truly accept his identity. And also Nicodemus is supposed to know the scriptures, right? We already talked about Ezekiel 36. God said he would sprinkle his people clean, new heart, spirit, but there's also Joel 2, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 45. God talks about giving his spirit. God's been talking about this for a while now. These, like, these are Old Testament prophecies. These big arrows that are pointing to Jesus. The spirit is going to come. God is going to remake his people. Jeremiah 31, God is going to write on his people's hearts. And so Jesus is trying to explain this. Hey, yeah, you need a new heart. You need, you need to be reborn. And it's confusing. Nicodemus is, is close, but he's just not there yet. He knows so much about God. He knows so much about his Bible. But knowledge does not equal salvation. Knowledge is important. But Nicodemus ultimately is not truly accepting the evidence of, of Jesus. He's not truly seeing the testimonies and, and, and again, the, the evidence of, of what's going on in and around Galilee. Verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So maybe Nicodemus is still caught up. He's thinking about being born again. Like, what? How does a man go back into the womb, right? So, again, Jesus was using an earthly illustration to get his point across. But to understand heavenly things, that is a work of the Spirit. To truly see Jesus, to, to recognize and accept, recognize and accept Jesus as Messiah. Well, that's a work of the Spirit, too. We're involved in the process, but the Spirit of God is there, nudging us, opening up our eyes. Nicodemus recognizes that Jesus certainly is blessed by God. He certainly, you know, like, God's hand is on him. But the next step is to recognize his identity. And that's where Jesus takes the conversation next. All right? Identity. Jesus has this little badge, like a sheriff's badge. Not really, but... That's what, that's what he does next. 
he gets out his, his sheriff's badge. He's like, look, I have authority here. This is my identity. All right. Jesus has the authority to speak about heavenly things. Verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, okay, I'm the Son of Man. I am so qualified to teach about heavenly things. I am so qualified. I have the credentials to speak about the kingdom because I'm from there. Like, the Son of Man is from heaven. Jesus has been there. Now, you guys know I have a geology degree, but I've never been to the Grand Canyon. Some of you have, and you tell me stories about the Grand Canyon. It's like, the fact that you have been to the Grand Canyon, really, like, you have more authority to talk about the Grand Canyon than I do, okay? Because you've been there, right? You have experienced it. You've seen the, the majesty of that physical landscape. Jesus is from heaven. He stepped down. He came into our world. Incarnation, God in the flesh. The Son of Man has the credentials to speak about heavenly things. And now, as a good teacher, Jesus is going to insert a little story. All right, he's he's trying to he's working on Nicodemus. He's trying he's trying the next step, and that's to tell a little story. He's going to tell a Moses story, a Moses story. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All right. Jesus is pointing back to Numbers chapter twenty-one. So if you want to turn there, Numbers chapter 21, way back in the Old Testament, long, long time ago. Numbers chapter 1. Long, long time ago, Israel, they were a wandering people group in the desert. They were led by Moses. Okay, and they're, they're bouncing around in verse 4 of chapter 21. From Mount Hor, they set out. By the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. And the people became impatient along the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless bread. The people are on the move. And they grow impatient. Okay. Now, I don't think they're just having a bad day. Like... This is really bad impatience. It gets to the point where they have rebellious attitudes. And they end up speaking against God. They, they speak against Moses. Like, like this is where their hearts are going. And they're complaining and they're crying out. Okay, like are we going to die in the wilds? Right? There's no bread. There's no water. And, the, and manna, that's what they're talking about. Manna, the bread from heaven... The bread that God provides from heaven, they call it worthless. Okay? This is where they're at right now. Complaining, impatient, rebellious. Attitudes are rotten. They're really trashing on manna. And I know all of us would love to taste some right now. Right? Who, who wouldn't just want to pick out on some manna right now? The bread from heaven. 
They don't know how good they have it. Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. This is one of those Old Testament sentences. You know, Old Testament is like super dry, and it's like, yeah, God sent serpents, venomous snakes, they bit people, and people died. Right? This is our Old Testament. We have to wrestle with, with these kind of kinds of things. But but God gets the people's attention. Venomous snakes come into camp. They bite people. People die. But you know what? They they do turn back to God. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take the, ser- the serpents away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. God, he's got their attention. They repent. Okay, there is a turning back. They go to Moses and they're like, Moses, you got to pray for us. Talk to God. Intercede for us. Represent us. You know, talk to God on our behalf. And so Moses does. And God speaks back to Moses. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. So like make a, an image, a, a statue. An image of a snake. Put it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent in and, and live. So Moses has to get some clay or, or bronze. He, he, he makes a snake. An image of a snake. Now thankfully, if you remember from art class in Plato, snakes are easy to make, Right? So, you know, Moses, he's, he's got that. But he puts this image on a pole. It's a snake on a stake. And the idea is, okay, he has to lift it up. All right? Now, there, there's some faith involved in here. You know, Moses, he's obedient. He's, he's lifting up the snake on, on a pole. Now, this is a, a really large camp. I'm not sure how big the population is at this time. Let's just say a million. I, I, I get, it, Israel is big at this point, but like no pole, no snake is going to be big enough where you just like lift it up and everybody's good. Like people who are snake bit, people who are snake bit and venom is running through their veins. The ESV translates it as fiery serpents, that fire that's in your body. You know, the clock is ticking. You just got to make it to where you can see that snake on a pole. All right? I'd rather have runner's trot than a venomous snake bite, right? So that's where this story comes into play. But they're snake bit. They're on fire. They would have to move in faith. But by the grace of God, if they just look, if they cast their eyes and look, this is, this is the way to salvation. Look to the snake and be healed. Now notice God doesn't remove the snakes. He doesn't just snap his fingers and, and makes it all better. Sometimes God does work in that way. But in this situation, he doesn't just remove the snakes. What he does is he provides a way to be healed. God brought salvation. God brought healing. Healing and salvation are very similar words. 
When we look at the Hebrew and Greek, like the word salve, healing, restoration, salvation, healing, being restored. Now this is the part of the sermon where we get real. We are all snake bit. We are born snake bit. We have been bitten by the serpent. Sin runs through our veins. The fiery sin that comes from the serpent. It, 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 is, it is a part of us. But the good news is, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. The one who was not snake bit became snake bit for us. It's Jesus. And he was lifted up on the cross. Jesus embraced the old rugged cross. Jesus was the one who was on the stake, the pole, the cross. And he was lifted up. He took on our sin, the shame, the embarrassment, the distortion, the rebellion, everything that's not supposed to be. Jesus takes it on and is crucified on the cross. Numbers 21 foreshadows the crucifixion event. As I say, say to you today, church, church, look to Jesus in faith. Look to Jesus in faith. He went to the cross in love. He forgives your sins. He heals you. He loves you. He makes you clean. He sprinkles you clean. He washes you up. He puts a new heart in you. He changes things. He puts his spirit in you. He writes on your heart. He makes you whole. Look to Jesus. Believe, believe, believe. And are you ready for it? Bouncing back to John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You are snake bit already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, the anti-venom, has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God so loved the world that he provided healing against sin's deadly venom. Believe in Jesus and be saved. Believe in Jesus and be healed. We are all snake bit, already condemned, but Jesus comes to save. Jesus comes to heal the world. And here at the end, no gimmicks, no jazz hands, no, no glitter. I just invite you today to believe. I know a lot of you, maybe all of us here, have been believing for a long time. 
But if you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you and just saying, hey, you know what? Today's the day to, to rededicate, to just, like, yes, today I'm, like, clean slate. Jesus, I'm looking to you. Here's my baggage. Here's my junk. Here's my venom. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I want healing. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I invite you today to look to Jesus and be healed. Find salvation and healing in Jesus. All who believe in Jesus will become children of God. Children born of God.